I'm Scott Colborn, and over here is Jim Shorney. Good morning. And we are <laughs> exploding, explained phenomena, or exploring unexplained phenomena. That was a really small explosion. We got coffee in our cups. We do. And we've got guys and gals all over the world listening. It's great to have you with us, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. So I've got Guatemalan in my cup, and <clears throat> our next guest is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Charlene, what do you have in your cup this morning? I'm doing some iced coffee today, and it's very good. Iced coffee? Yes. Well, you know, coffee's just as good cold as it is warm. <laughs> really, really quick. You guys want to know a true story? Sure. So sure. my parents were pretty thrifty, and they would make a, a... Jim's throwing cords at me. Hold on here, Shirley. I'm okay. Don't worry. I missed. It, in the summer, they would make a pot of coffee and then put it in the fridge and have, like you're having, iced coffee, okay? Uh-huh. And so... It was in this container that I recognized as being one of our juice containers. And I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be either like a kind of a, a dark grape juice or it's got to be, you know, I'm a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe some beer or something. Maybe, maybe it's a, a Kool-Aid. And so I pour myself a glass. It's nice and cold when I take a sip. <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Oh, my God, what's this? Yeah, it's different when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you had uh, kind of a fun thing this week. You had uh, a company that said, we're going to pay for the adoptions for the first 25 people. What happened? We had a great turnout. We are so happy. <laughs> yeah, we had a line before we opened, and that's great. We had awesome. very nice families come in and choose to adopt a companion animal, and we are hoping those animals are just waking up in their fabulous new home and uh, having a great new life. Okay, who who was the sponsor, by the way? Uh, that was Union Bank and Trust. Oh, that was uh, that was really cool. Yeah, I read that and I thought about all the fun that people were going to have, including you folks out there. Uh, it was definitely busy, yeah. uh, but in a good way. Um, we have lots of animals, especially cats, this time of year. So we're so grateful for people who adopt. Okay, well, um, dogs need training. And so you've got dog training classes. Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because we do um, offer basic obedience classes. Um, That helps you to teach your dog to sit and stay and leave it. Um, All very important commands. It helps build your relationship, helps your dog to know what you expect from him or her, and that is very important. So we do have um, upcoming sessions listed on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org, and you'll just either uh, give our animal uh, behaviorist a call or send her an email that you're interested in registering. Is owner training included in that? I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I, think so too. <laughs> I agree. Scott Colborn and Jim with Charlene from the Capital Humane Society. This is Pet Talk, our opening segment of the program. And who's the first cat for adoption? We are going to talk about Little Silver. 
And we have cats and kittens for adoption. A lot of times people are more interested in a younger animal. And so Silver is one of our younger kittens looking for a home. She's a beautiful muted tortoiseshell, just six months old, very charming, ready to make you smile from ear to ear. And a great uh, picture. Oh, yeah. Very curious. And uh, what a beautiful coat that Silver has got. Yes, for sure. Okay, Silver is joined by? Next up is Laura Lee. And I think that's a pretty name for a pretty cat. She is a calico, about two years old. Um, Again, a very attractive cat with her orange and black and white markings. Uh, She has a cute little inquisitive look on her face. Would like to meet a wonderful family today. Yeah, it looks a little bit like a quilt. Uh-huh. That's a good one. It's really cool. As you folks that follow along on CapitalHumaneSociety.org, if you're looking at the cats for adoption, right next to Laura Lee, you'll see a picture of Mickey. And Mickey, not just one picture, but two. And uh, I don't know if that was planned, but the photographer got Mickey in this full cat yawn. Looks like he's a little bit cross because he got woke up from a nap. (laughs) Mickey loves to snooze, and she strikes the cutest poses when she's sleeping, just like a lot of cats. Um, And you can find her sleeping in a cute pose today if you come meet her. Um, She's just a a sleepy cat, but a fun cat, has a lot of personality. She knows the right family is out there for her. Open wide, Mickey. I like like how their nose kind of crinkle. This is another one of those cats that looks like maybe it might have been an accident in a paint store. (laughs) Very very pretty, unusual coat. Okay, uh, our next cat is... We will talk about Harlow, and Harlow is about two years old, a spayed female, domestic short hair, pretty tabby markings, ready to meet a nice new family. Uh, You can see her picture there that she's just got a real sweet personality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she'll be a very charming uh, companion. Okay, famous actress, Jim. Uh, The first name, I, I know it, but... Because I'm older than you are. I know it too, but I'm drawing a blank. Gene Harlow. Gene Harlow. That's it. Yes. So there's a there's a a gene in the family. You got to take a look at Harlow here. Um, Silver, Laura Lee, my audible call of Mickey, and Harlow. Here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from eleven to five thirty. And as I get the screen change for Dogs for Adoption, tell the kind folks about um, Working Cats. Our Working Cats program is excellent for people who have um, a a need for an outdoor cat that's going to help them as a mouser, Um, but we do want them to be provided with proper vet care and shelter, um, food and water, of course. Um, But we do have cats that may not be perfect for being an indoor companion, and so this is an option for them to uh, move and and help where they have a a home like a barn or an outbuilding or a shed. Uh, So again, that they are protected from the elements, but they can be working cats for you. More information at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And now it's time for Dogs for Adoption. We'll start with Fiona. 
She has the cutest little look in her eyes there, just such a soft, sweet look. She's about six years old, a lab mix, a smart dog, looking for an active family. She's very energetic, loves to go and go, but she's also quite well-behaved. So uh, once you burn off that energy, she's a very nice dog. She is looking for a home with no other dogs or cats. She wants to be your only furry friend. Dogs for adoption. Here's our second dog for adoption. Next up is Hank Jr. And he is a very handsome pointer. About nine years old, about 72 pounds, a pretty big dog. He's got really big paws. Uh, looking for a family that can accommodate a nice big dog. He's also looking for a home without cats and needs to meet children. Um, but he's a really nice, intelligent companion, and we hope somebody wants to see him today. Anybody out there with the last name of Williams, we got your dog for you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've got uh, Fiona, Hank Jr., and... We'll do our perfect pair, which is Winnie and Susie, two little Yorkshire Terriers. Uh, they are bonded, and they want to be adopted together so that they can have fun. Uh, we are looking for a home. Um, we recommend that they do meet children and other dogs to make sure everybody gets along well. Um, but if you're looking for two adorable small dogs, Susie and Winnie might be perfect for you. Yeah. Pictures of all these dogs, Fiona, Hank Jr., Winnie, and Susie. These are all up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Take a look, read all about it, and then go out and see them. Here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30. Okay, thanks so much for all that you do, and have a great rest of day. Thank you for everything. Scott Colborne with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, our main guest coming up today is going to be first-time guest Sandra Biskind. And Sandra is the co-author with her husband Daniel of Codebreaker, Discover the Password to Unlock the Best Version of You. We're making the uh, phone connection with our second opening segment, and that's Lloyd Arbach with Invisible Signals. So next week, Jim, I think you're going to like this uh, main guest we've got lined up. I like all the guests. We have um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who's got an um, up-and-coming publishing company, mm -hmm. VisionaryLivingPublishing.com. And this is a gentleman who's got a life background in law enforcement. And uh, he's written a book called How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Uh, Greg Lawson is our guest next week. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a great show. I, I think that's something that has been sorely lacking in the paranormal investigation community is scientific methods, uh, true detective work. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this show. Okay, uh, we are going to go to our next segment here with Lloyd Orbach, and I'll see if I punch all the buttons right. Lloyd should be right there. Good morning, Lloyd. Morning, Scott. It's great to have you with us, Lloyd. How are things out there on the West Coast? Uh, not, pretty good these these days. Was uh, we had a little bit of heat here where I live uh, earlier in the week, but it's been very comfortable. Mm-hmm. All right. You're just finishing up a class through the Ryan Educational Center. 
Um, actually, we're yeah, we're actually coming into week six of an eight-week class on introduction to parapsychology, right? Do those classes um, tend to differ from time to time, Lloyd, based upon the input from the people? Do you sense that there's a bunch of a difference as the instructor? Well, not structure so much. There is certainly different with the interaction between the students since it's an online class and there are forums. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, you know, different different kind of interaction. And it also, um, the questions that I get during the lectures differ from, from uh, course to course uh, or offering to offering of the same course. But, you know, the, the basic class itself, other than being updated here and there, doesn't really alter. So I, I pulled off one of your classic books off the bookshelf last night, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists. And this is a, a, a classic book. It has stories in there um, about the not-so-famous, the famous, how to conduct investigations. And there's a special segment in here on the Amityville Horror. I thought maybe we could talk about that, Lloyd. Sure. Sure. So, what what was your introduction to the Amityville Horror, Lloyd? Well, probably the movie, <laughs> which is okay. You know, uh, I, I knew I had read the book, I, I saw the movie, um, but it really was from a perspective of what happened. Uh, my introduction to it really was discussing it when I was working at the American Society for Psychical Research. And lo and behold, finding out that the research director, Carlos Osis, and the psychic we worked with, Alex Tanis, who was our research psychic, uh, had both done and had been involved there, had done an investigation. There. Mm-hmm. The book written by Jay Anson, um, apparently Mr. Anson never set foot in the house. He, he never left his hotel in New York City. Mm-hmm. He did not go to the house. The, the lessons came to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we talk about the uh, the investigation or the observations of your colleagues, give us the thumbnail sketch. The Lutzes had moved in there and then allegedly very quickly discovered that there were things going on there that were beyond their ability to cope with. And right, so... Yeah. yeah, so the, the house itself was the site of a, of a, of a, ma- of a murder, uh, well, multiple murder. Um, Ronald DeFeo, who's a young guy, basically killed his uh, parents and his siblings Jeez. Uh, while they slept. And it, it just, you know, it just killed them all one night. Uh, no apparent reason, at least none that uh, was the parent at the time. And... When the Lutz, the family was the family, you know, was was gone. I mean, he was under arrest. He was gone. The house, um, I believe, it reverted back to the bank. But there was an attorney who was involved in selling the house, and by the name of William Weber. And the Lutzes knowingly they bought it, knowing that there had been these murders there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was not a surprise. This was not hidden. It was on all the papers. The house is the site of a, of, of a terrible murder when they bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, they moved in and moved out a few weeks, like three weeks later, because they claimed that there was all this act- horrible activity 
that the place was haunted, that it was just devastatingly bad. Um, now, of course, we don't really know exactly what they told William, uh, excuse me, Jay Anson. All we know is what ended up in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actual story seems to be a lot different than what was written in the book. So on the, I'm, I, I don't own a copy of Anson's book, but I take it that at least the first edition had someplace on the front cover uh, the three words, a true story. Correct. So did the movie. The movie said based on a true story. And uh, as, as you just intimated, uh, it wasn't so true. What, what happened? I understand that, that uh, at some point this attorney sort of was the first person to confess? Well, yeah, years later, <clears throat> when you know people started really going after the story itself, William Weber claimed that <clears throat> he deserved a piece of the money that the, the Lutzes got from the book and movie contracts because it was over drinking wine, the three of them, as they were discussing the house, that he or they together came up with the idea that the place might be haunted and might be terrible. And they had seen, of course, the, the movie The Exorcist had been a really major thing. And whether that gave them the idea or something else gave them the idea, it just seemed that they figured they could come up with a story that could sell big time. Mm-hmm. And so Anson is in his... Uh uh, hotel room in New York City um, that serves as kind of the the place uh, the writing takes place he has people come to him uh, never sets foot in the house and uh, how did your colleagues then get involved in this Lloyd well you know it it, it wasn't just about the book uh, at first because it, it it really made the press Right. The family moved out. They had called the police. They had called local clergy. They, they were claiming all sorts of stuff had been going on. And so it got a lot of attention. I mean, they were, the, the house was descended upon by a number of folks, including Hans Holzer, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren were there, just a, a variety of other people. And this is all after the family moved out, by the way. Uh, to our, you know, best of the real research that's been done, the place was never investigated while they were living there, mm-hmm. which is a, a big problem, actually, when it comes right down to it. And so w- when your colleagues dealt, uh, uh, got into so, this... All right, so they, they went in, I, um, you know, what's interesting is that um, the place had been investigated by the Psychical Research Foundation. So George Kokoris uh, had gone, who was with, with the Psychical Research Foundation, which was a foundation which involved Bill Roll and was connected, loosely connected to uh, the, the initial rights of the Foundation for Research on the Nature of Man. Mm-hmm. So they, Kokoris went in there because he was local. Uh, it was investigated by a couple of journalists, including Pete Jordan, who later on become, became a really good investigator, paranormal investigator. And Osis and Tannis went in there just at the urging of some other folks in the field because it was so high profile. And 
in my discussion with Alex, you know, Carlos Sosis was basically uh, of the opinion that there was zero there of interest um, from a paranormal perspective. Alex, who had worked with police quite a bit, and, and Alex was very good at picking up on kind of what happened, kind of picking up on the imprinted events mm-hmm. of crimes and such. And so he claimed that he saw the whole crime happening. Um, you know, he, he saw psychically saw what Ronald DeFeo did and walked through all of that. But he didn't feel that there was anything other than that, like an imprint from the crime, which frankly would have caused some very I don't know, um, negative feelings and perhaps even had caused the family to have some experiences. I mean, you move into a place which has had a highly emotionally charged event. We call that a haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not directed at them, but it's like being in a bad place. And that might have caused them, it caused them some experience uh, and some consternation for sure. But they also were moving into a place where they knew that had happened, so there was suggestion there too. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex and Osis were kind of wandering around before they left. Um, you know, they, they, he was, Alex said we were being snoops. We were trying to see what could possibly have caused the people to report all this stuff. And so he was drawn to a break front in uh, the downstairs in the living room, and he opened up a drawer and he found a book contract. So apparently they had a book contract even before uh, anything, before too long after they moved out of the house, after the family moved out of the house. As soon as they saw that, uh, Osa said, let's leave, and they started walking out, and in walked... Joey Salfin, who was with the Psychical Research Foundation also, later became a colleague of mine at JFK University, and uh, he was, he had met up with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and he was just kind of being the observer of what they were going to do, because he had worked on a couple of other cases where they were also involved. And the Warrens came in with TV crews, or the TV crew, and what Alex said was it became almost a, a, an incredible circus of, thing, of things. So they left immediately. Mm-hmm. And Jerry, when I talked to him later on, you know, said that they did, the Warrens made a big show of it, but there was no evidence that he saw of what they were picking up on or what they were claiming. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do we take this sort of report in light of what Hollywood and the TV industry tends to do with the paranormal. Is this a, a, a good working example of, of what can happen? It, it definitely is a classic example of how the, uh, the concept of true story, you know, today they don't even use based on a true story. They may say inspired by true reports or inspired by a true event, mm-hmm. um, which at least artistically means that the writer was given a one-line idea hmm. that inspired him to write the whole story. So it's, it's mostly fiction um, with possibly a grain of truth, like some myths that are out there. What we have to consider, though, is what the consumer needs to do is, first of all, you can enjoy a movie. I think that, that if you like horror films, the Amityville Horror the original is an enjoyable film from that perspective. What you can't do is take a horror movie and apply that to people's actual experiences. Um, and what's important for people to remember when you see anything done 
at all, even if it's a close adaptation of a nonfiction book, there's, there's going to be some alteration in the personalities of the people that are involved in the way they describe. So a good example would be um, the, the TV show Medium, uh, which mm-hmm. had some truth to it because, well, first of all, Alison Dubois is a medium who has worked with police. Um, she's done a lot of stuff, and she really was the basis of that show, with, with the major exception that she never did her thing by dreaming about what was going on. She's a regular medium. She's a really good medium, in fact. And the idea of, of all of this information coming to her while she was asleep was totally uh, a fiction. So you have to look at what the real story is, and that means doing your own research. Or, in the case of Amityville, if you took the Amityville story and then looked at all the thousands of reports of people's experiences of ghosts and hauntings, even in people, the ones that people report negatively, nothing's like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've, that, that yeah, I've, I've, I've long held, Lloyd, that... that Many of us have been so enculturated with watching the Saturday Night Fright Flicks where it, the paranormal is presented as being filled with monsters, uh, ogres, yeah. out to get us. Uh, things don't work out well for people because somebody's going to die because of... And we grew up with this. Uh, and I encounter so many people that when, when we talk about the paranormal, that's what they think it is. The popular culture uh, mythology, you know, well, folklore that we have, because we have an incredible folklore, mm-hmm. is inc- is very impactful. Um, just the, and it certainly has affected the ghost hunter community. I mean, they're, they're following popular culture from bad science presented, not even, not even science presented on the TV shows. Uh, and what's really bizarre to me is some of the bits of folklore that people believe. You know, the whole idea of cold spots, is in hauntings is kind of a bit of pop culture folklore going back to two things. One, people do feel cold, but there's not physical cold. So in other words, you can't measure the temperature drop, even though a person might get a cold chill if they're having an experience. And that happens not just in haunted places. You know, you can have a cold chill because something weird is happening to you or you're having an argument with somebody. So that sensation was taken upon by Hollywood and actually before Hollywood by theatrical people to make it part of the ghost story. So back in the 19th century, that was, became part of the ghost story. And when Hollywood started making films, one of the greatest visual effects they can do is to show uh, with spooky music is to show someone's breath suddenly appearing like the temperature has dropped. Mm -hmm. And that's become total folklore and people believe that if that haunted places have cold spots this is lloyd arbach uh, author and parapsychologist uh, i recommend if you don't have it already that you have a copy of esp hauntings and poltergeists uh on your uh, shelf and uh i don't know lloyd two three years ago maybe this just got uh, republished right that's right Back in 2016, the 30th anniversary. Glad to hear that. I've got the original copy that Jim is holding there. That's that's a pretty weighty it's, it's paperback. A, it's a thick book. That's right. Okay, Lloyd, um, and we can direct people to the Ryan Education Center. 
for information about classes. You'll be posting those there at that, at that link. Yep, great. And uh, just a reminder for folks that, that we're kind of trying to do a membership drive right now. The Ryan Center is a great thing to join. You get discounts on classes, and you get access to a huge media library of lectures and events, uh, and as well as the real discounts on live events you can att attend at a distance. Or they have lectures these days. People can actually watch them live via the web as well. Thank you for mentioning that, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Okay, you have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll talk to you uh, yeah. not in July, but in August. Sounds good, Scott. Okay, Thanks. Lloyd. Lloyd Arbach, parapsychologist and author. Um, Mind Over Matter is another book that I that I really like by Lloyd. Uh, last name is spelled A U E R B A C H. Lloyd L O Y D. Lloyd Arbach. He joins us every third Saturday for Invisible Signals. Why don't you guys make a, a choice who's going to call our main guest, and I'll take the bottom of the hour break. I think Colleen's going to do it. She walked through the door, and I put her right to work. Okay, good. <laughs> so, Colleen, how's your week been? Busy. Good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been good, but it's been mm -hmm. busy. We've got, we're glad to see you here. We've got, we certainly are. We've got coffee here if you want. And uh, let's go ahead and take the bottom of the hour break. We'll come back with our main guest, Sandra Biskind. And we've got a great show for you today. Sandra and her husband, Daniel, are the authors of Code Breaker, Discover the Password to Unlock the Best Version of You. I'm Scott Colborn. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from ZooFest 2019, an annual two-day music festival featuring national, regional, and local musicians. July 19th and 20th, downtown at 14th Street between O and P, with Mike Zito, Satchel Grande, Bruce Katz Band, James Harmon, and Mavis Staples. Tickets, full lineup, and other details at ZooBar.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And Jazz in June, presenting the Marquis Hill Black Tet on Tuesday, June 18th at 7 p.m. at 12th and R Street near the Sheldon Museum of Art. Jazz in June is a family-friendly event for all, with a market at 5 p.m. featuring food vendors, crafts, and more. Details for this season's lineup, VIP seating, and meet and greets at jazzinjune.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. 
The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, music from the band Enigma, and catch those folks around southeast Nebraska. Our next guest is a first-time guest, Sandra Biskind, and she's the author with her husband, Daniel Biskind, of Codebreaker, Discover the Password to Unlock the Best Version of You. And Sandra joins us from, I believe, someplace on the West Coast. Am I right, Sandra? Yeah, it's great to be with you, Scott. I'm in Marina Del Rey. Oh, what a beautiful place to be. How's your morning so far, Sandra? It's fantastic, thank you. And I had a lot of fun listening to Enigma just then. (laughs) Well, it was a little bit longer break than planned because we've got rain rolling in here, and I realized I left the dog out in the backyard, and I was trying to call my son. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well done. (laughs) uh, Sandra, uh, you've gone through a lot of growth and steps and some time and some years and some life experience. What was the pre-Sandra like to all of this? 
<laughs> before before I um, started being a spiritual mentor to the stars, you mean? <laughs> yeah, what, um, uh, where, where were you born and raised? Yeah. Okay, so I was born and raised in a little town called Geelong, which is near Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was three, I started having um, these beautiful conversations with divine beings. Uh, one of them was called, his name was Jesus. And they would just talk to me each night before I would go to bed. And um, as I was growing up, uh, it was quite evident that I had clairvoyant gifts, that I could see things and I knew things. But um, it really wasn't until I turned 18 where I almost died um, that during that death experience that I had my first enlightenment or awakening experience. And that really catapulted me into, I would say it was the beginning of of becoming the the person that I am now. Mm -hmm. How, How does a person like yourself who has these early experiences... How did you manage to keep, if you'll permit me to say it this way, Sandra, feet in two different worlds? Well, it was actually really, um, there was a lot of trauma and a lot of challenges. Like just after my near-death experience at 18, two months later, I knew my mother was going to die. And I begged her. Not to have the yeah, not to have the surgery that she had, and you know she went in for a routine hysterectomy and um, was given eighteen pints of the wrong blood group, and she bled out and died. Mm-hmm. So at the age of eighteen, within two months, my life and I know a lot of people go through this. It's like you're going down a certain path, and all of a sudden these things happen, and you're now going down a very different path. So at that stage, I had to leave school. And I took over my parents' fashion business, and I became very firmly entrenched in the business world for many, many, many years. And so that's how I kept my my feet were very firmly planted on the ground because I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just that this is what what had to happen, so this is what I did. And it wasn't really until after I got up the courage to leave an abusive marriage that I actually started. Um, going to the Geelong Christian Spiritual Church, and it was like, wow, I'd come home. You know, there was this safe haven for me where we were expected to heal and to um, connect with divine beings and um, to get onto the pulpit. And and really, um, it, that was normal then too. And I actually did feel like, okay, I'm home now because this just was like my second nature. And I just spent decades being very diligent about working with spiritual masters and gurus and and, um, connecting with my own divine guidance to come to this place where um, I'm very proficient and and have a lot of integrity with the work that I'm doing in the world now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me the story of uh, Matthew in chapter 1, and there's a phrase that, that comes up that I think is really an interesting phrase. Uh, tell us about Matthew and uh, about Chicken Neck. Yeah, oh boy, you've read the book. You've actually read Card Breaker. Well done. Um, this story is a really beautiful story in that uh, I had a man come to me who'd been recommended to me and he had had shingles for 18 months and he'd, he was in so much pain. And when I asked him what had happened 18 months before, 
when he started getting shingles, he just said nothing, you know, like nothing. And as a lot of business people do, they're not connecting the fact that their thoughts are creating their reality and, and certainly creating um, our success or not, our pain or not. And um, so eventually uh, he did admit that 18 months prior, he a new man had come into his life and he thought this man was going to take his job. And uh, he called him and everyone else at this big company called this man Chicken Neck because he had had a lot of his neck cut away with cancer. And um, my, I know, my client at the time was proud of the fact that he was calling him Chicken Neck. And I, I said to him, did you ever stop to think that this man might not want your job and that he's really, you know, suffered a lot um, if he's looking like that? And he was like, nonplussed. He looked at me and said, no. I said, well, why don't you ask Chicken Neck out for lunch and find out if this man really does want your job or not? Because quite frankly, he had worked himself up into a state where his ego mind was telling him that at 56, he was going to lose his job to this man. And, um, you know, he, he really went into this really traumatic place. Anyway, he did what I asked him to do, and he came back the next week, and he said, oh, uh, you know, I just can't believe it. The poor man, he's been through so much. He doesn't want my job. He just wants to be left alone to do his job. And, you know, we really, really got on well, and, um, yeah, and, 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 and. And I looked at him, and I said, so, so now you're starting to feel better. And he said, oh, yeah, the shingles have gone, but... But I don't think that's got anything to do with the work we've been doing. And, and he was laughing, of course, because what had happened was I was able to get into his unconscious and to dig into what his story was. And once we realized his story was one of being challenged and not being able to forgive this man who was supposedly there to take his job, the minute he understood this man's story, the minute he, he was able to forgive himself for creating that story around the situation and forgiving Chicken Neck, whose name was actually Robert, um, he was, he just, he healed. He opened himself up to healing. And that's not magic. You know, this is, this is really science that scientists now know that our thoughts create our world. And, um, and I really do love that story, by the way. And that happened 30 years ago. There's been loads of those stories since then. Mm -hmm. you, you taught uh, Matthew a, a mantra, which is really interesting. I, I want you folks listening out there in the audience to think about the last time that, that you got worked up over something and then later you found out that it was basically a hill of beans. It wasn't anything at all like you were worried about. Um, the mantra is, so what? It's okay. It's not real. Mm -hmm. So when our ego mind kicks in and says, well, if she says this, then I'm going to do this. And then if this happens, I'm going to respond and do this. We have all this, this role-playing back-and-forth reactionary stuff. We're plotting out in our mind these future events we think are going to take place. If we can catch ourselves, Sandra, right at that onset and say, so what? It's okay. It's not real. Yeah. 
Gee, you've hit the nail on the head, Scott, because this is this is the crux of the work that we do. Like when we work with our clients online and in our live events, a lot of the feedback that we get is, oh, so now I'm aware of when I'm doing the self-talk that, that is not serving me, it's not uplifting me, it's not helping me feel happy and feel mm-hmm. good, and now I have the opportunity to change it. Mm-hmm. And that's what Code Breaker is all about. It's not really a book. It's a system where you can change your state instantly. And, you know, in a world where there is so much suffering, um, obviously we just want everyone to be able to use this system to, to change where they're at. And truly, if you think about the ego mind code, in that code, our mind is taken over by this, our savior, the self-appointed savior, which is the ego mind, who is always trying to work out how to separate us from our hearts, from God, from each other, and there it is, you know, and it's a master of separation. And it does that by creating all of these incredibly unbelievable stories, Mm -hmm. which we believe. I think it was Walt Whitman that said, I've had a great many problems in my mind, in my life, most of which never happened. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. and don't you just love that he's talking about that same thing and this is uh, folks this is not anything that that one or two of us have experienced this is part of the human condition and uh, if we if we don't come to an awareness about this part of this ego based stuff then drives choices that we make the vision we have of ourself it begins to cut us off from possibilities. What, what's an example, uh, Sandra, of how this ego mind might reach out and shut you off from a future possibility? Well, one of the, you know, after working with thousands of people all over the globe, one of the biggest ones that I come across, which, which by the way, a lot of these people, it's not their problem that they're thinking like this on a lot of levels because... They've got unconscious programs and stories that keep dropping in when they get triggered off. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest ones is, I'm not good enough. No one will ever love me. I don't deserve love. So when you put those three together, your possibilities of having a great relationship, your possibilities of being successful and and creating the, the, the life that you dream of, they just go down the drain because you you start to believe stuff like that you don't have a hope. I mean, any when I see humans and, I, and I'm working with them every day, when, I, when this comes up, this hidden... By the way, a lot of people out there will be saying, hang on a minute, I do like myself. Hang on a minute, I am good enough. Yeah, I am beautiful enough. I am handsome enough. I am... It's okay for, the, for them to say that on a conscious level. But if the unconscious mind has an opposing view, the unconscious mind will win every time. And that's why this work is so important because we're really working with what is hidden from us. Mm-hmm. And when you delve into the unconscious and you discover that, then your world of possibilities expands, you know, infinitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard people say that that um, that they can't consider this new possibility because, and they have all these becauses. Uh, and then I have a friend of mine who said that she began to try to overcome that by basically saying yes 
to anything that was offered to her. I mean, within reason. She wouldn't, for example, jump off the top of a building if somebody asked her to. That's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know what I mean. But she, she yes, began I to do. say, if, if I'm going to be led by, if you'll permit me, by spirit, maybe I shouldn't shut myself off from some of these opportunities because they could be stepping stones to a new and greater view of who I am. Exactly. Well, she is so smart because that's exactly right. And, you know, living by divine guidance, uh, being a spiritual activist, as Daniel calls us, um, we're always mindful and aware of what those stepping stones are. And um, I think I, I love what your friend said, and I'd love her to um, read Codebreaker because in that system where uh, we describe the eight high-frequency aspects of our true self, like who we really are, when we describe that, we also go in and say, okay, you can master these to live as the best version of you, but when you master the low-frequency blockers to them, the triggers to not being able to live in that state, that's when you're really um, able to change your life to live by divine guidance and open up to possibilities. And I guess an example of that would be... Um, peace and the, the the blocking frequency to peace is, is unforgiveness so if you've got someone in your life that you haven't forgiven you're not going to know peace and by the way peace is our natural state when we're not driven by these unconscious programs mm -hmm. this is sandra biskind with her husband daniel they are the authors of code breaker discover the password to unlock the best version of you and uh, it's got a gorgeous front cover of Sandra and Daniel. And it's a, uh, it's a fairly substantial book. My, my friend uh, and co-host Jim sometimes will pick a book up and he'll kind of go, uh-huh, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in there. <laughs> heavy words. Yeah. So, uh, folks, here's a couple of websites for you. Uh, and we'll, we'll mention these during the program here. Codebreaker book. And so I'm saying three words there without any space between them. Codebreakerbook.com. And a second website is The Biskinds. B-I-S-K-I-N-D-S dot com. The Biskinds dot com. And am I saying your last name correctly, Sandra? You are. You've got it all right. Okay. You're quite amazing. Okay, would you, would you please stay right there? We're going to take the top of the hour break and be back in about two minutes. Okay, Sandra, we'll be right back. Great. Looking forward. Scott Colborn with Sandra Biskind, the co-author with Daniel of Codebreaker. Discover the password to unlock the best version of you. As a friend of mine said many years ago, why would you want to settle for second best? So listen up, we've got more good stuff coming at you here. With Colleen, Jim, and Scott, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back.
Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. The KZUM Summer Concert Series runs every Thursday at 7 p.m. through August 1st at Stransky Park near 17th and Harrison. Join us for a family-friendly evening in the great outdoors with live music and food trucks this week by The Wildwoods and Food by Hell Yeah. Special thanks to this season's sponsors, Dietz Music, Butheris Mazer and Love, and Shirts 101. That's The Wildwoods this Thursday, June 20th, 7 o'clock at Stransky Park. Find out more on Facebook and kzum.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. to unlock the best version of you. Uh, Sandra, how did you and Daniel meet? Oh, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> so uh, I used to travel from Australia to New Zealand to work, and I, I, did, um, I would facilitate channeling evenings and meditation evenings, and Daniel was a guest at one of those evenings, and before he walked in the door, I just got the message that I was going to marry him, and I, I, I went, oh, Oh, no, God, I'm not going to marry a man I've never met and leave my, my house, my car, my cat, my family, and my boyfriend in Australia. And um, when he walked in the door, it was like, oh, no, 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 you've definitely made a mistake. And, you know, my, uh, my um, manager invited him for dinner the next night because he just loved him so much as a being. And uh, I knew that he was going to ask me to marry him. And he walked in, and then 1 o'clock in the morning he said to me, I just want to take you home and look after you for the rest of your life. And I just, you know, being the earthy Aussie that I am, I said, well, that's amazing. That's the best proposal I've ever had. But I, can't, I don't want to leave my house, my car, my cat, my boyfriend and my business in Australia. And um, he just smiled at me and kissed my hand. And in his mind, he just thought, well, that's over. And I went back to Australia the next day. And two weeks later, I had to, I, I went back and I said to my boyfriend, I've just met a man. I'm, I'm, I'm being told I have to marry. I've got to go back and see him. And he said, yeah, sure. And um, so two weeks later, I arrived back in New Zealand and we had dinner together. And um, our first date, literally, 
and uh, he was shaking so much. I just looked at him and I said, wow, okay, does this mean we're married now? And he just looked at me and said, wow, you finally got it. And um, so right in that moment, um, we agreed that we were married as of that moment. And so it was really, we say that we have a divinely arranged marriage. Wow. I, mm. I, think, I think there were a lot of people out there that just said, gosh, I wish. So mm -hmm. if, if, they're, if they're hoping for that same sort of union, will Codebreaker help them achieve that? Absolutely. That's all of the things that we've been through um, over 40 years of, of our life and what we've been doing has culminated in the, in the system that's in that book. And I think in the book too, we also say that when Daniel was manifesting the love of his life, he wanted what he said was, and this is really interesting for people, that um, he was giving thanks every day for God's highest and best love relationship for him. And he was saying that as though he already had it. Now, he was in a marriage that he'd been trying to save and it wasn't working. And he would say, okay, God, if it can be with my wife, fine. But if it can't, fine. I just want your highest and best good for me. And two years, that led to his divorce, to moving to New Zealand. And he said that led him to meeting me. And um, he says that, that his greatest spiritual um, inspiration in the world has been me. And he's just... Well, he's such an inspiration to me as well, by the way. And so for me, I was at this place where I had left a marriage at 27 and I was 45 when I met Daniel. And I was had been very diligent about coming into this place of enlightenment and wholeness. So I wasn't actually feeling the need to have another marriage, to be married again. And yet, when Daniel was presented to me, um, it was like, oh, of course, this is exactly what what is going to happen and look a lot of the single women in my family have said to us now that they're with the love of their life that 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 story was an inspiration to them that they realized that it was possible and that they were not going to give up on on you know having this divine love relationship and and now they've got it and i think that that's why sharing these stories is so important because people who are single and have been single for years and years and years uh, you know, often get to the point where, where they start saying things like, oh, I'm happy where I am, or I really don't want a relationship. And they start justifying rather than telling the truth that, of course, who wouldn't want to be sharing their life with the love of their life? So, um, yeah. And yes, the system will help you get there because the system helps change your frequency so you start attracting what it is you want. Mm -hmm. This is Sandra Biskind, the co-author with Daniel Biskind of the brand new book, Codebreaker, Discover the Password to Unlock the Best Version of You. And you'll find out more at the website codebreakerbook.com. If we could use, Sandra, the uh, example of a computer, we have... Um, hardware, which is kind of like the way the system operates. And then we have software that is sort of the upper overarching specifics on, on what, the, what the computer does and, and how it to superficially works. We have, as humans, we have this conscious mind 
and we identify with our thoughts. So every time we have a thought, we say, that's me. Wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> There's another one, that's me. But underneath all this, we have this hardware, the subconscious, and that it's operating at a very, very deep level. It's very difficult to try to penetrate by thinking, but this subconscious with all these programs, it may not be that the subconscious reflects who we really are or possibilities for us because it's based upon past programming, isn't it? It is. What, what happens for all of us is that it, from, from the moment we're in the womb, really, as we're hearing you know, our parents speak, um, we're mm -hmm. being conditioned and we're, we're, we're being challenged by events, emotions and decisions that we are constantly making from our conditioning. These are, these are also, by the way, these programming is, uh, that you're talking about is passed down into our computers from our ancestors, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, etc. And then there's past life, past life programming as well. So we're actually, we're one great big bag full of protein programs or, or computers full of programs. And, and a lot of them, it's just spam. You know, in the moment, the event and the emotion decision we made might have helped us in the moment that we were going through a situation. But then that gets locked into the information center. Um, our DNA gets into our DNA. It stays there. It affects the way our genes express. In other words, it, it, it affects our health as well. And, um, and they really, they really no longer serve us in the new situations that we. So I know that you and everybody else is a perfect divine being. I know that. And the only thing stopping any of us from living that perfection, like from living from that place of our true self, are these conscious and unconscious programs that con us into believing we are something that we are not, or that something is like we are not. And if you think, if you take even the situation at the moment in America, where you've got a political situation that is so divisive and you have so much hatred and judgment. Now, that's making people sick, right? It's actually making people sick. And they are, everybody is attached to their story. Now, when you're attached to a story, you just can't be neutral. And neutrality is another word for enlightenment, where you can be this beautiful, a passive observer of, of what is and then you react from that place rather than from being in a triggered place makes sense doesn't it mm -hmm. it, it does the the uh, the idea of programming uh, I learned that uh, many many years ago from uh, Patrick and Sharon O'Hara two teachers that I met and they talked a lot about that idea that we have these underlying programs that are running uh, and that tend to uh, limit our choices, tend to pull us back from opportunities, uh, tell us that we're uh, perhaps not worthy of full abundance in an area of our life. Uh, one of the classic stories that I've heard 
uh, involved a, um, a, a Lincoln uh, a, a gentleman who was a, a dentist, and he used uh, hypnosis to help relax his, <clears throat> his clients. And uh, I, I met Dr. Lampshire, you know, many, many years ago. And he told the story about how powerful the subconscious is from his own family. Uh, he tried to, as many par parents do, spend time with his children. Uh, on one day, his young daughter sat down and said, Daddy, I've got uh, this thing in math that I don't understand. And he wasn't fully present, something was, was not right in his day. And before he could control himself, he blurted out something like, it was really a simple problem, she should have got it, and she mm. must be pretty dumb in math. Oh, no. And so this is like, this is the main guy in her life that she looks up to for instruction and uh, he's told her countless times that he loves her and that, but now here's a specific instruction about math. And he just told her, you must be pretty dumb in math. So guess what? Through school, she got A's, exemplary ratings in all her subjects, except for math. And she stumbled with that all through her early uh, womanhood until it was finally brought out through some other alleged unrelated counseling that she had this childhood memory, this blockage. And once she could connect with that and understand that that was part of, of that, that biocomputer that she had running, she could then start to change that. It, so, Sandra, let's say we've got each one of us, we've got something going on that is in conflict with our highest and best good. Uh, from your program, what would be a simple way that people today listening could begin to affect a change on that program? Okay, so I think the quickest way for people is to use a tool that we call the four questions. And that is, it's really an, a deep inquiry process where you um, where you're inquiring into yourself. Like, the first question is, what am I feeling? And I guess in her case, it would be, hey, I, I, I'm feeling like I'm never going to pass math. I'm, it's, it's my weak point. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I focused on? I'm focused on the fact that, well, I've been told that. It's the truth. What do I want to feel? Hey, I, I want to feel like I can accomplish anything I want, even in math. And what focus will serve that? And that's where you go, wow, it doesn't matter what anyone else has said or done. I can choose to be my highest and best at math and at anything else that I desire. It's like, and then focusing, refocusing yourself on what it is that you want and that you know to be true. See, parents, siblings, and teachers, we all say things without thinking because we haven't been taught how how painful that can be. So that little girl, when her father said, you know, you must be pretty dumb at math, that hurt her. Now, this is, this is a very important point. The 
programs are really stuck in the computer through emotional trauma and pain. Even if it's just a little girl being hurt by her daddy's response. That's what sticks the program in. That's what has it rear its head and keep getting triggered every time. So she would have gone into those math exams and her unconscious would have been saying, oh, you're really dumb at math. You'll never get this. And so her focus had to completely change. And this is one way we can get into the unconscious and change the program. How am I feeling? What am I focused on? How do I want to feel? What focus will serve that? Mm-hmm. Last December, uh, Sandra, I walked into a church and a woman came up and said, this is for you, and gave me an envelope. And um, I stepped to the side of the, of the folks walking in, and my name was on the outside, no other identification. I opened the envelope, uh, and there was $2,000 cash in there. And I, I, my heart started to beat faster, and I looked up, and I saw this woman across the room, so I made my way through the throng over, and I said, what is this? What do you know? And she said, I saw you coming in from the parking lot, and I looked down, and there on a table was this envelope with your name on it. And I said, do you know anything about this? And she said, no, I don't. Um, Her husband walked by. They were uh, serving as greeters that morning, and... He looked at what I was holding in my hand, this envelope, and he smiled and he said, maybe, maybe somebody thinks you're doing a good job. Well, I was, I was just dumbfounded, Sandra. I sought out people within the church that might have information on this. Nobody did. And so that day I posted on Facebook what I'm going to read you here. I'm grateful for the abundance and blessings in all areas of my life, and I recognize, and then parentheses, God, the creator, the source, the divine, rather. I recognize God as my source. Thank you for everything. And uh, I'm now up in the 180-some range. I do this as a daily affirmation, uh, and it's in part to remind me, as well as for folks that look at my Facebook page, that we have so much to be grateful for. I I was not, uh, nor am I, destitute. I was not between a rock and a hard place, although I have been in my life, as we all have. Uh, But suddenly this was just out of the blue. And so I'm recognizing that there are other other energies at work that I have to very gratefully acknowledge. How would it be, Sandra, if we all did that sort of thing? If we recognized that... (laughs) Well, it would be a different world, wouldn't it? Yes. Because the joy joy and the the wonder of the miracle of that money and, and your beautiful response to it was just exactly right. And that response, by the way, would be one of the answers to question number four. You know, what do I want to feel? Because 
when we have gratitude and we understand that, you know, God is, is the co-creator with us manifesting all of this wonderful life that we're here to live, then, uh, you know, it would be a totally and completely different world. So um, I'm so excited for you that you got that so that you could post that and you could start continuing to post the Gratitude Journal. Sandra, if somebody came to one of your uh, workshops, uh, one of your get-togethers and said, I'm just between a rock and a hard place, I, I am not happy, would you, would you put a copy of Codebreaker in their hands and say, read this and come back and two weeks and talk to me what's no <laughs> what's I would it? obviously ask them to read Codebreaker but no for me what what when I'm working with people on that level in in online programs or in live events um, I actually call people up onto the stage with me or onto the phone with me and um, I do what is called giving them a correction on the spot in other words if somebody said to me I'm not happy about my mother or my father or I'm not happy about my finances or whatever it is that they feel their challenge is at the moment, I would then, um, as they're speaking to me, I'm always testing when someone's talking to me that I'm working with, not you, when I'm working with them, if they're staying strong or weak. If they stay strong when they're talking, then there's no program there in the unconscious and we don't need to work there. However, when they go weak, that's exciting because that says, okay, we've got an unconscious program here. And so I then delve into to that. So I use these gifts, these spiritual gifts that I have. Um, scientists actually call it being able to access the zero-point field. Lynn McTaggart wrote a book called The Field, if your audience will be interested, and I think they would, and she, where she actually um, catalogs you know, hundreds of thousands of experiments done by scientists and physicists who who are saying yes um you can connect with the quantum uh field with the source of all information and so i do that i, I connect with that source of all information and i get that person's story i get their the event emotion decisions that they made and then um by using the right frequencies and the right words I'm able to correct out the emotional charge so it no longer has any force to control them. And oftentimes it could involve, um, you know, connecting with a past life. It could involve their ancestors. It could involve something that happened to them in their childhood or even just a day or two ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, so by the time I've finished working with them, they no longer have that problem. They're just completely free. It's really... Amazing. It's really amazing. <laughs> this is Sandra Biskind with her husband, Daniel. They are the authors of Codebreaker, Discover the Password to Unlock the Best Version of You. A good website for further information is codebreakerbook.com. We have... Uh, growing realizations with these snippets in media that there appears to be another, at least one other, intelligent presence that's showing up in our skies in these craft that are being observed. People call them UFOs. We do a lot of conversations, Sandra, on the show about 
the, uh, the paranormal and this sort of phenomena. In, in your life work, uh, do you think maybe you've ever talked or been in the presence of an extraterrestrial? Often. <laughs> okay. Yes, often. Okay. Yeah, often. And, I, you know, it's so funny because um, a lot of what we call extraterrestrials are in human form now, mm-hmm. and which makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, there's people from the angelic realm in human form. And, of course, because I am a medium and I'm, I'm able to access these other dimensions, I can access um, alien consciousness um, as well. I don't go out of my way to do that unless it shows up that it needs to be, unless it shows up as a problem for people when I'm working with them. Primarily, uh, what does show up is past or future lives. And in some of those, people have been from other planets and have been, uh, have, have known trauma in other, in other planets. So, yeah, for me, none of this is, it's all normal. None of it is, um, a mystery, mm-hmm. uh, and it and you and it's normal for me simply because I have the experience of it. Like when I'm working with somebody, um, their past life or their beingness or even their small child literally appears before me, and I can see them and have a conversation with them. And uh, yesterday I, I gave a talk at a women's networking group, and a woman came up who hated her mother, and her mother had been very cold. And hard, and uh, the mother actually appeared before me, and I was able to facilitate a, a, a reunion and a place of forgiveness where this woman, who was well into her 70s, finally felt relief from the trauma of this relationship that she had with her mother, mm-hmm. knowing that she was never have, never going to have to go through that again. Because when we have unresolved relationships and unresolved programs in our computer, we start to make these karmic agreements and going, oh, why don't I just come back and fix that? I think I deserve to be punished or I think, you know, I want to do better or whatever. And so we're always making these decisions to, um, we're always making these decisions to really get hooked into, you know, our stuff as humans. And yet when you expand what's really going on, we're multi-dimensional beings. We can access whatever it is we want, and people are accessing it. I was thrilled, by the way, when they finally had a little bit of disclosure about the, the UFO thing on Fox. So it was like, oh, at last, mm-hmm. it's going to start to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm always reminded of, uh, and I can't quote the exact Bible scripture, but... Um, it basically says that we should always be kind to strangers because we really never know that could be an angel unaware. Exactly. And so it's a, it's a great way to kind of go through life, imagining that, that that other person that you're interacting with may be a extraterrestrial, may be a, an angel. When, mm-hmm. when we come back, uh, Sandra, from this bottom of the hour break, this will be a little bit longer, so if you need to freshen up your coffee cup or use the restroom, we'll have enough time here. When we come back, I, I want to ask you about how people view the planet Earth, choices that are made to come here. What is this a campus of? And then... 
with the recent celebration of D-Day, I want to ask you um, how you see evil in the world and what's an appropriate response to that. This okay. is <laughs> we've got a lot of <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah it, it, there's 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 uh, there's enough right there for a number of programs but um, I've, I've enjoyed reading uh, your book this week and uh, I'm going to recommend that people read it to uh, as the subtitle says to discover the password to unlock the best version of you so Folks, stay tuned for more conversation with Sandra Biskind, the co-author with her husband, Daniel, of Codebreaker. Discover the password to unlock the best version of you. And I don't know anybody in the audience that just heard me say that that wouldn't hold their hand up and say, sign me up, that's what I want. I mean, why would we want to settle for second best but you know I have and a lot of people have and are so more conversation with Sandra this is Jim Colleen and Scott we are exploring unexplained phenomena it's great to have you out there please stay tuned we'll be right back Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the venues with listings here. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, June 15th, Hakeem presents El Morado the Movie at 8 p.m. at the Bourbon. And Charlie Burton and Or What play the Zoo Bar at 6, followed at 9.30 by the CWAN duo and Verse and the Vices. On Sunday, June 16th, the Zoo Bar hosts Zularius at 8, and Craig Estudio and Goodnight and Bale start at 8 at the Playmore Ballroom. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. 
full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. At 12 o'clock following our program, it's Beta Radio. And this is kind of a fun program because as I sit here, I have no idea who's going to be hosting it, or what the program format's going to be. So it could be an adventure. If this program isn't an adventure enough, stay tuned at 12 o'clock noon for Beta Radio. Who's up next week? We have Greg Lawson, who's had an adult life spent in law enforcement. He's written a brand new book called How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Our guest this morning is Sandra Biskind. She and her husband, Daniel, authors of the brand new book, Codebreaker, on helping people unlock the best version of themselves. And before the break, I asked Sandra to, to maybe talk about uh, uh, planet Earth. Uh, is, is there a choice that we make to come to this place, Sandra, what what is it about planet Earth that is unique or special? <laughs> I love that question. We, we all make the decision to come here because we think that we've got things that we have to fix. We're on a karmic cartwheel, and um, I like the story of Joe, your best friend Joe, where um, you know you leave your body you're you're dead you find yourself in heaven that was lucky but you look down and you do a review of your life and you go wow that was pretty good and then oh no that wasn't so good and you spend all day asking people to come back with you so you can fix it and at the very end you meet joe your best friend and joe says yes i will come back with you on one condition that when I do it to you, because that's what it's going to take for you to fix this problem, you'll remember who set it up in the first place. And so we're, we're, we're hooked into this idea that we have to make retribution, that we're full of guilt, shame and blame. And quite frankly, I think one of the reasons why we keep coming back is because we believe that um, we can never go home into the heart of God, that God has abandoned us or we've abandoned God. and. That's the ego mind's story that, that mm-hmm. really has messed up humanity from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Earth is the campus of emotion, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And look, we can come here. The, when, we, when we will stop coming here is when we understand that we are already and have never, ever been anything other than at home in the heart of God. And that's why we 
do the work we do because it's about helping people understand that enlightenment is your natural state and wholeness is when you, you finally reveal your true self, which is which is a perfect divine being. Mm-hmm. And people don't get it. You know, we're we're so hooked into all of the things that we do and having to be smarter, make more money, do all of these uh, things on this planet. I mean, it's fun. So a lot of people come back here because they're addicted to the stories. They're addicted to the suffering. And, you know, it has been proven that people are addicted to suffering. Um, that endorphins start running in the brain uh, and flooding the body when when we when we suffer over and over again. It's um, it's a very interesting planet, planet Earth. Um, it's one of working out that we really don't have to be here, mm-hmm. and and evolving and growing and having fun whilst we whilst we are here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandra, I uh, have been involved in metaphysics. Uh, for for many years and I have met people who when I asked them the question about uh, evil they uh, kind of look to the side it's something they want to avoid talking about Uh, I've met people that have said there is no such thing as evil it's just basically an absence of good it's incorrect thinking it's incorrect decisions But we had, in the 1930s and 1940s, we had a a man that came forward that that ended up, we mobilized almost the entire world to stop what was going on, the Nazis under Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. And what they were doing and what they hoped to do is one of my definitions personally of, of... evil incarnate how how do you view the question of good and evil uh is there this energy that is a polarity that helps us make choices there's definitely polarity is the right word what's happening what's happening there and what happens with everything that we can judge as being evil is the ego mind running rampant it's the ego mind believing that it's not part of a system that it is more powerful than and that it deserves power and again all of those stories are fed into it and often because i'm on this show i can actually say it i don't say it on the other show but most of the people who are doing those shocking things are possessed and they're mm-hmm. possessed by um you know incarnate beings uh, disincarnate beings who again their their ego mind is is running rampant as well and so they they they've lost connection to god to mm-hmm. all that is good mm-hmm. and when you do that you can justify anything mm-hmm. right and that's what's happened there i mean you just and and quite frankly i see this um possession happening all of the time and not just of a disincarnate being but of our own past lives you know we get possessed by our own stories and we lose track of who we are mm-hmm. we lose track of what is good and what is not and um that's why the work that these transformational leaders are doing in the world is so important now so that we can actually tip the balance and and have a, a lot more um love and acceptance on the planet than judgment and what you're calling evil because you can judge it i mean truly 
people are calling all sorts of people evil and I, and if you if you look into it i mean i've dealt with some p- pretty nasty situations and um when i've discovered where the programs have come from what the stories are behind what they're doing when i was able to like correct that out from them and they're no longer I'm going to use the word possessed, yet no longer possessed mm-hmm. by those stories and emotions and decisions, they actually come back into alignment with good, with God, with love. And so I do see that there is, there is plenty of, of stuff, that, human stuff out there that is other than good, that is other than love. And um, that's, again, another reason why we've created this system so that we can help people get back into alignment mm-hmm. with that which is good true and beautiful yeah i like that word alignment because that that really speaks to the the heart of the matter uh, of where you focus on and where you derive your power as that facebook post that i read off earlier uh, i recognize uh the supreme deity the creator i i'm comfortable using that word god as my source for all things. And uh, I'm humble as I recognize that and state that. So I think alignment is very, very important. Um, Mm. But just think, a lot of people haven't got that. For me, I see that you've got that gift. And of course, at the age of three, when Jesus came to me and said to me, "You you are a child of God, you are love." And you are here to teach humanity that that is who they are too. I mean, that's their big gifts that we've been given to be able to know that and to live by that. And there are a lot of people out there who have just suffered so profoundly that they can't be in alignment with that because they're, it's like, well, you know, they would look at us and go, well, that's okay for you to say, mm-hmm. right? But until they have the experience, until the suffering stopped, um, it's very hard for them to get there. In our family units, Sandra, and I speak, um, if the audience will permit me, I speak of so many people listening that individuals are trying to do their best to be in alignment, and yet they are involved in a family situation where there is another or perhaps several individuals who are... um, really suffering uh in short they are not with the program and uh i speak a little bit from my own personal background without naming names but i also talk about the story that so many people that are listening could also utter uh it's important to understand and sandra it's taken me so many years that i can't fix I can't fix them. No, how wise that you have come to that. You know, it was Rumi that said that when I was younger, um, I was I was smart and I wanted to change the world. And as I got older, I became more wise and realized that I had to change myself. Mm-hmm. And the only person that you can affect change on to begin with is yourself. However, what I have discovered is that the more I am in alignment with my true self, with God and love, and with this platinum system that we describe in and reveal in our book, the more other people who are around us, they feel something and they go, well, what is that? I had a young girl once, we'd been going to her, her coffee shop for where she 
with the server for, you know, five months. And we said to her one day, we're leaving, you know, and she started crying. She said, but, but what is it? <laughs> what is it? And we knew, we knew exactly what she meant. We said, well, it's just love, sweetheart. We just love you. And we've never, ever said that, but she was picking up on our frequency. And she said, wow, I thought it had to be that because my whole life has changed since you've been coming here. And you see that if each and every one of us would dedicate ourselves to the mission of being the best version of who we are, truly connecting deeply with our true self, with the perfection and love that God is, that we are, then other people begin to change because they can't resist the frequency. Their lives change. But, but we don't have attachment to them changing, you know. There's no attachment. It's just this is what it is. And this is what they're here to learn and grow through for them. The most important thing is that you don't get hooked into their story and hooked into their programs and start judging them. Because the minute you start judging them, then that judgment is applied to your unconscious and the unconscious believes that about you. So it's a vicious cycle. Sandra, if, if there's uh, something that you'd like to say to my audience listening, we've got people listening live as well as there'll be the, uh, the free archive that'll be posted in about a week. If there's something that, that you'd like to say to my audience at this time, uh, uh, please do so from your heart to theirs. Well, apart from the fact that I love you, <laughs> all I can say is that if you're suffering, if you're feeling any fear, negativity, or pain, use that as signposts to know that that it's time to make a change. It's time to make a U-turn and get back into peace, love, awareness, trust, integrity, neutrality, unity, or mindfulness. And that's the acronym of PLATINUM. And so please, if you're feeling any of those things, get the book, get involved with the system, and start changing your life. And... One other thing is stop judging anybody else and especially stop judging yourself to be wrong or bad. Begin with acceptance of yourself on all levels because anything else is slapping God in the face. Mm -hmm. Sandra, if you ever have uh, uh, any more dealings with the Melbourne area and you need a great architect, my friend James Rigney, uh, who may or may not be listening, is my buddy and he lives in that area oh we're going to melbourne in september october because that's the area i come from and we're actually doing a three-day event in melbourne you know maybe james will be interested in coming to that i'll, I'll mention that to him uh he's a, a a good friend i've been so very fortunate to have met him through the work of paula harris she gets folks together every november uh for the starworks USA UFO Symposium, and it's really a unique mm. event because it's, it's not about who's got the best picture and about the hardware nuts and bolts. It's about consciousness. Yeah, and, and you know, I know we're at the end of this, but my mother and my auntie actually had a UFO follow them up the Melbourne Road, and they stopped the car, and it stopped, and they got out, and they were just staring at it for about 15 minutes and to this day my auntie is about to turn 85 and she says she will never ever forget mm -hmm. that experience mm -hmm. and uh, so obviously in our family um, I'm not unique <laughs> <laughs> 
what does Sandra Biskind do for fun? What do, what do you or you and Daniel like to do when you're not uh, directly working and helping people? We walk on the beach every single day. I just feel like a whole new person when I'm down there with the waves and the, and the ocean. Um, I love getting together with my family and friends and, and just loving people. Um, I watch movies when I I blob out when I'm not working because I work really long hours. Um, I love sitting down and watching a great movie. So that's when I don't think about anything. And I read a lot. But I read fiction, by the way, because I've spent decades reading personal development and spiritual books. And um, I I really rely on my own divine guidance Mm -hmm. now. But I have to tell you, as much as I do those things in my spare time, the most excited I get is when I walk into a room that's been set up to have a vent in it and I get to touch people and hold them and hug them and, and tell them the truth about who they are and help them stop suffering. Oh, that was well put. That was very beautiful, Sandra. Thank you so much for taking time from your schedule uh, to be with me and please extend uh, to your husband, Daniel, my very best. Thank you for your work and many sunrises and sunsets to you both. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's just been an absolute honor to be on the show with you and your audience. Sandra Biskind, the co-author with Daniel Biskind. The book is Codebreaker. Discover the password to unlock the best version of you. And here's two websites for you for more information. Codebreakerbook.com and the Biskinds, that's the word the, T-H-E, and their last name, B-I-S-K-I-N-D-S, thebiskinds.com. Colleen's in the studio and you're busy drawing over there. Uh, you are such a creative individual, Colleen. It's always a joy to see what you, uh, what you create. You take a blank piece of paper and in no time there's something that uh, people would stand and look at and probably pay good money for. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to get into um, commissions because uh, a lot good. of people online um, mm-hmm. want artists to draw their original characters. And a lot of times, they, you know, there's some artists who are a bit too pricey, but there's always newcomer artists. And it's digital art, so it's like you, you use an app to... You know, take a picture of something you draw on paper and then you just trace over it and then you color it from there. Maybe, maybe so. you could, in terms of our show here, contact some of the publicists and people that are helping promote and or some of the publishers mm-hmm. and offer your services. And I, oh my goodness, yeah, if people saw more of your work, uh, they would really appreciate, as we do, because we get a chance to see it every week. <laughs> Jim, what, what are you doing for the rest of the day? What's going on with you? Uh, as, as you say, I'm going to just be kicking around the house. Okay. And what about that forecast? Did it kind of move out to the north of this? It uh, lo- looks like the, well, North Lincoln looked like uh, some showers a little while ago. Light showers probably. We missed it. And there was another band coming in, but it's, it's pretty much broken up by now. Uh, 20% chance the rest of the afternoon. I have an underground sprinkler at my home. I haven't used it yet. Good. We've had so much. You're you're not one of these guys that has his sprinkler running while it's raining. No. Every time I go out to 
to think that the, it's getting dry. We have like last night, I think, uh -huh. probably close to at least an inch at my house. Very heavy downpour. So, you know, I, I'm giving thanks that we had the moisture. I'm giving thanks that there was no hail. Well, you know what? I never water my lawn, and it'll go dormant in the heat of summer, but it always comes back. It's great to know you folks are out there. Thank you so much for listening to the conversation with Sandra Biskind today. And uh, there, there are some of you that may want to go back in about a week and play this archive back because she said some really profound things that we could have done a number of shows just on those points. I hope that you can be all that you can be because why settle for second best? Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for Beta Radio coming up at 12 noon. I'm Scott Colborne. And until next week, walk in beauty.